We have been playing with um, the book of John now, and I hope that you've been reading ahead. Uh, we've done the Samaritan woman before, but I want to talk about that anyway. Let's uh, go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Because this is history, and it's amazing to me how many times you have to teach things before somebody hears it, but that's kind of the way humans are. Marketing people have this down to a science, and I'm not going to pretend that I know the numbers, but there's a certain number of times you have to hear something before you hear it. Uh, there's a certain number of times you have to see something before you see it. That's, um, when it comes to Scripture, isn't it amazing how we always find something new when we go through? Alexander Campbell, and again, I don't have the, the facts on this exactly, I believe he got up around 4 or 5 in the morning and then would go to this little, um, it's almost like an enclosed gazebo that he built outside of his house. I've been there. And he would go inside there, and tiny little thing, and sit and read and study for hours every morning before he even had breakfast. That humbles me. Uh, it amazes me. And yet he, to the end of his life, talked about how every time he did that, he found something new. Charles Hodge used to put it a different way. There, there's a Charles Hodge, which is a world-class theologian, famous guy. I'm talking about our guy, who was world-class preacher, Charles Hodge, out of Duncanville, Texas. And he said, every time I read the Bible, I see something that wasn't in there yesterday. So at the risk of repeating myself, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. There's a, never heard anybody talk about this. That's interesting, isn't it? He heard that the Pharisees heard that people were saying, John's on his way down, Jesus is on his way up. So Jesus leaves the field. He steps to the side. It's not time for John to go away. He doesn't want to interfere with John's work. He steps aside. I have tried to learn this lesson in my life. I still have much more to do. But that's one of the reasons I invite people up. This is her first time to do this. Uh, it won't be the last, Lord willing. But if you notice, uh, next week I'll have Evan up. The week after that, Lauren will be up. Week after that's Christmas Eve. I'm the only one that works on Christmas Eve, so I'll be here. Uh, but the, the whole thing of let's let somebody else get here. Let's let somebody else do this. Now, let me tell you how that can practically work against you. There are ministries of this church that I love and adore that I've not done a thing for. And the reason is it's theirs. That's not mine. I will support you. I will love you. I will pray for you. But there's, something, there's a problem with ministers. When they walk into an area, they suck up the oxygen. They don't want to. I would love to be able just to go to a small group and sit there as a member. Can't happen. When a minister walks in, all of a sudden the conversation changes. And any questions, everybody turns and looks at you. So Jesus knew the only way for John to continue to do what he was doing, I'm going to step away. I'm going to step out a little bit. The humility of Jesus is amazing here. And I love the verse 4. He had to go through Samaria. 
because he didn't, except he did. I'll explain. Where he was was over here, shall we say. Those of you that are listening online, it's over here. I, there's got to be some penalty for not showing up, don't you think? So anyway, where he was is over here. Where he wanted to go was over there. Samaria lays in between. So geographically, we could understand he had to go to Samaria. But he didn't because Jews didn't. Jews would instead go all the way around, even though it required big elevation changes. Walking, 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 finally to get over here. The reason was he, um, well, the reason was they believed it was their duty before God to disapprove of Samaritans. I've really got to put this in here. You had to be, sh you had to show that you did not approve of Samaritans. The reason why, I'm not really going to get into, and, and in fact, some of that's a mystery. Samaritans were there when uh, the people left behind, when there were different um, you know, alienations and bondages and, and the like. They stayed behind. They didn't accept all of the writings that the mainstream Jews did. There were accusations that they were half-breeds and intermarried. It just, they were not who God loves, so we are not allowed to love them. That's the way the Jews felt about it. This is not a slander to the Jews. This is the way human brains work. Uh, I, we just came back to America, and we were in Ohio, because uh, we didn't know better, and um, they, a preacher said, would you like to go to the Ohio State Fair? It's the biggest fair of any of the states. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I said, sure, that'd be nice, what's there? I didn't know that his idea of fun was to walk around all day looking at cattle and chickens. I don't know why you would do that. But anyway, Ohio in the middle of the summer is very hot, and the Ohio State Fair is strategically located on asphalt. It was brutal. Pretty soon, we needed to have a soda or something, so we, we, we stopped and got a soda, and a woman walked in who wasn't wearing a lot. She was legal, but she wasn't wearing a lot. And the preacher... <laughs> yeah, just start. You know. And then we got off away from her, and he was like, oh, this is wrong, and people just kept going on and on. And I finally looked at him, and I said, you're at the Ohio State Fair. You're going to be surrounded by this all day. Do you plan to spend your day disapproving of everything? And the answer was pretty much yes, because God required him to disapprove. And so I'm going to disapprove of that. I'm going to disapprove of that. Isn't it amazing how we often confuse our duty and end up not approving? I, the same period of time, my father uh, went to stay with him for a few days, and he goes, I've just been back from a lectureship on John. Well, that's great. John's my favorite book of the Gospels. And he said, each preacher there had one chapter. And uh, do you want to see it? And I went, inside, I was screaming, no! But outside, I went, oh, okay. I, anyway, so he popped in the VHS, if you remember those. First guy gets up, oh, John 1, there's a lot of stuff, the word and preexistence and light and darkness, let her rip. He didn't get to any of it. But he did get to where we stand on abortion, instrumental music, marriage and divorce, and I went, that's not even in there. 
Chapter 2, next guy gets up. Same thing. Never gets to anything. He, if by chapter 3, I stopped it. My dad looked at me. What's wrong? I said, John hasn't made an appearance yet. I said, every one of these men is terrified that somebody in that room will think that they approve of something they don't and that they don't disapprove of what they're supposed to. And so they're standing up shouting, I'm okay, I'm orthodox. I don't have time for that. But isn't that what we do? We have, there's a new term for it now. It's called virtue signaling. So if the big thing in the news is um, sexual harassment, you've got to put out there somehow, well, I'm opposed to all of that. So, well, we, I, I assumed you would be, but it has to be seen now. There's, that's not all bad, by the way, but it becomes a problem when you think of it as your religious duty to disapprove. The Jews would not walk where a shadow of a Samaritan would cross them. The Jews would, if they saw a Samaritan, they would make a sign of disapproval. Words, um, calling them dogs, or there's another word for dogs that they used a lot. Um, they would shake their clothing in case any of the dust that was on them was on them. You might think, how ridiculous. A week and a half ago, a church up in Brentwood uh, got word that what was going to happen today was going to happen today, and their preacher started firing off on Facebook attacks. Why? Are we, are we a threat to him in any way, shape, or form? I don't, I don't think so. I've never spoken against him, never will. Didn't name the congregation, don't plan to. We just do what we do. But there are those that are so terrified over this. Do you remember the shelling that Lauren got three years ago? Brutal. It was brutal. And yet, why? What does that do for you? That you feel you need to disapprove. You've got to get all this in. I'm not off on a tangent here because all of this is wrapped up in what Jesus is going to do and why he had to go to Samaria. So he walks in. I, the Bible doesn't record this, but I cannot help but think the apostles are behind him going, where's, where's Miskov? What are we doing? But nobody wanted to question him. He's the rabbi, so they're kind of following him, not knowing where this is going to go, but not comfortable. We're in the wrong place here. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot to ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, you need to know what kind of place this was. This is not a village, little cottages. This was a ruin. This had fallen into ruins many years before Jesus walked there. This was a haunt for homeless people, outcast. So, Jews here, Samaritans were considered way low. Who could be lower than a Samaritan? A thrown-away Samaritan. A homeless Samaritan. Have we reached the bottom? Nope. There's another layer there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. This is when it gets very uncomfortable for the disciples because they believed you weren't allowed to eat or drink anything if you're in Samaria. 
just couldn't. Now, if you're thinking, how silly, may I with due respect, um, there are, in, in our tribe, many preachers who will tell you that you can't eat at a restaurant that serves intoxicants. Really? My family's part of that. Uh, not me, but I remember when we went down to see my son uh, muster out and graduate from Paris Island boot camp with the Marine Corps. We took some of my family there. Afterwards, here's a guy that hasn't even heard his name for 12 weeks. I don't, I don't, you can't say I or me or anything. It is this recruit, this recruit. You know, it's, you're, you're nothing. Now you're somebody. You've gone through the big ceremony. We haven't seen him in forever. We're excited. We get him for the evening. Let's go out to eat. And my father narrowed it down to Chick-fil-A, and that was it. Why? Because everywhere else, they, they serve something, and I can't go in there. Really? We can't celebrate with him because somebody else may be doing something you disapprove of. Now, my father's not a bad guy. He believed this was his duty before God. He was following his conscience. Jesus is going to show us something about that. He's going to push us quite a bit. I, um, I used to think my bucket was pretty empty. I had a big bucket full of people I disapproved of. Oh, lots of them. These kind, that kind, that kind. And God over the years has pretty much emptied my bucket, I thought. And then about oh, 10, 12 years ago, I got an email from somebody that said, uh, we were at your church Sunday. We really enjoyed that, but we have some questions. Could we meet? I went, okay. Could be a trap. Didn't sound like a trap, and it wasn't a trap. So we met down at the local pub. Do with that as you may. I always, I always ask them whenever I knew the elders are coming, don't shout my name when I come in like Norm at Cheers. Just <laughs> act like you've never seen me. Don't yell want your usual, don't do any of that. So went down, two young ladies, very nice young ladies sitting across from me. We started talking. They had looked up Church of Christ, and they said, that doesn't sound like what you, and we had to explain and work with them. About 10, 15 minutes in, it hit me. They're a couple. Oh, the bucket wasn't empty. God has been putting this in front of me all my life. You've, you've got people that you wouldn't hang around. So I'm going to arrange your life a bit different. And that was, um, by the way, I, this is a great preacher story. They would have married young preachers. We would have uh, then baptized many thousands. They, they didn't break up, but they came to church every Sunday, and they brought visitors. And we baptized a lot of the visitors. They became great members. We were never able to baptize them. But I cherish the, the friendship that we had. So there you go. That said, this is what Jesus is doing. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Well, it's about noon. We just found another layer. We, uh, it's not just Samaritans. Homeless, thrown away Samaritans. Boo. How bad could you be to be thrown away by a Samaritan? She's coming at noon on her own, which indicates she isn't even loved by the other homeless Samaritans. Boom. We just hit the basement. How, you can't go. This is the worst woman on the planet, according to, to anybody that you would ask. And seems like 
she's had some problems with this through her life. Jesus is sitting at the well when she comes and he said, will you give me a drink? Friends, that's the first time in human history a Jewish man would have asked a Samaritan woman to help him find something to drink. And it's done on purpose. It's done because Jesus is hunting her. He wants to find her. In parentheses there, there are no parentheses in the originals, obviously. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. What it doesn't say is that they didn't go into Sychar. There wouldn't have been food there. They would have left Samaria to go get the food. because It's almost like Jesus was sitting down there saying, what are we going to eat? And they're going, seriously? We can't buy anything here. We can't Samaritan-sourced food. It might be GMO. So we got, we got, to, we got to go out here somewhere and, and buy that. So they would have been frustrated, angry. Jesus didn't explain anything. As we saw in the call this morning, he didn't have to explain it. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for something to drink? Oh, that's a great question. And then again, little parentheses we added, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. By the way, that actually could have been her quotation. There weren't quotation marks either. She could have said, how do you, because you, you don't associate with us. Jesus answered, confusingly, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> Think how absurd this is. She's there and going, why would you even ask me for a drink? And he's going, hey, lady, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And she's going, well, where's your jug? You don't have a rope. You've been out in the sun too long? You know, what's going she would have had all these thoughts. I've, uh, I've had people say, no, we have to take this very seriously. Some of this is comedy. And you just, you got to play it for comedy. She said, sir, you got nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Who knows if they're accurate, but every source I check says that at this point, the water table had dropped to where it was nearly 100 or slightly more than 100 feet down to the water. Think of the amount of rope. Think of how hard this was to get water. She evidently was equipped, but she was on her own. I didn't explain that enough about why she's down at the bottom. Women never went to get water alone. Why? Because there are evil men on the planet. That's why. Never went alone. No woman in Sikar would go with her. You did not go for water at noon. Why? It's hot. It's dirty. Get your water soon. Have you, um, some of you may have... Uh, uh, had grandparents, perhaps, who had a well for their water. Now, not a well like you know, we dig a well, then we hook up the pipes to it. I'm going outside and lowering the bucket well. I can remember, we were in and out of Appalachia all my life. And I can remember once, I don't know if it was me or it probably, uh, I just remember somebody uh, unspooled it really fast and let the bucket just go and hit and everybody looked around and said, well, we can't use that water. We have to wait 
for, I don't know how long it was, because you stirred it up in sediment. You, got, you came early in the morning and then late in the day because it would be cooler and you'd be the one to be able to get unstirred up water. At noon, it isn't clear and it's hot. This is a thrown away woman. My heart breaks for her. I love this woman. I can't wait to see her in heaven. Um, she'll probably have a better house than me. Grayson's going to. After my job. Anyway, um, I had a couple of the elders suggested retirement could be on the schedule now. And by the way, that's, that is as cool with me as anything. Anyway, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Our father Jacob. She's already fired the first salvo. Because the Jews say, we're the loyal children of Abraham and Jacob. And the Jews say they are. If you wonder how bitter this is, have you heard of the, the war? The, uh, well, I, last week, the, um, some Muslims killed over 300 other Muslims in Egypt. Remember that? One side is Sunni. The other side is Shiite. What's the difference between the two? You want to know the difference between the two? This is it. This is all of it, really. Way back when Muhammad died, this side thought his son was the heir apparent. This side thought it was a different relative. That's it. And for 1,300 years, they've been blowing up each other and shooting each other and hating each other. Now do you see the kind of bitterness that would be here? And it's over the same reason. Who's a loyal child of these people? Our father, Jacob, gave us this well. And so did his sons and his livestock. This is our place here. Again, think of territory. Why is the Middle East such an issue? Territory. Bloodlines. Rights. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And indeed, the water I give them will become in them a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, was Jesus being intentionally obtuse here? I don't know. The Bible says sometimes he used parables so they wouldn't get what he was saying until later. I don't know here. But if, if, if I had been told that, I would have just kind of scooted a little bit away from somebody, wouldn't you? That's weird. So I don't know how to frame her response. I don't know if she's being sarcastic, ironic, or actually asking. She said, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It's brutal. It is brutal, drawing and carrying water. You've seen the pictures of the ladies carrying it on their heads. Maybe you've been to places where they were. I have no idea how they do that. And it seems like in so many countries, women do all the work and the guys sit around and you know, chew and drink. I'm going, what? Water is heavy. You, like, like, um, like petrol, like gasoline. You may, you may not know this. You can almost never, in fact, I cannot think of an, of an airplane that can fly if you have full passengers and fuel, uh, and full fuel. You have to offload enough fuel and balance it with the passengers or you're going to be above your gross weight. And you can't do it. You have to factor in the weight. It's, um, so she's saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Jesus says, go call your husband 
and come back. Now, that was not illegitimate. Um, think of Mike Pence right now. And again, this, as soon as you say things, people think you're going political. I'm, I'm not going political. He has a rule. He doesn't eat with any woman uh, unless his wife is present. He's not alone with anybody but his wife. Doesn't that seem to be a lot smarter than what a lot of our betters have been doing? And yet, there it is. Grayson came uh, before, we have a meeting at 9 o'clock before our worship to make sure everything is good. And she came and she said her microphone, there was an issue with the pack, the way it was vibrating or kind of wobbling there. Dave Cassily and I are there. Um, Jeremy Hopwood is there. Not a one of us said, let me fix it. Why? It's a 17-year-old. It's under a layer here. We said, let us get your mother. Or we saw Lauren come by, and I think maybe Lauren came. Why? Give her dignity, space, respect. We don't do that. This is not our daughter. We're careful here. Jesus, in, the, in this time, men did not speak to women in public and make these rules. God did not make these rules, but these were the rules. Men did not speak to women in public. Men did not speak to foreigners in public, unless it was a business thing. There, there were times for that. And certainly men did not speak to foreign women in public, and here Jesus and his foreign woman are alone. Have you thought of the number of taboos that are being broken here? It's pretty impressive. It's like Jesus went out of his way to, to shock us. I think he did. So here he says, your husband should be involved in this conversation. That seems like he is covering, getting back into being polite and proper, but no. She goes, I, I don't have a husband. And he said, that's right. Because there have been five men. He says, you've been thrown away by five men. Now think about this for a minute. I choose, because I'm just that kind of guy, when I see a situation, decide with the woman. And I choose to think men abused and threw her away all of her life. And if you're thinking about five, yeah, if you live on the street, um, I've seen it. Just used and tossed and used and tossed. You might be thinking, why do they let them use them? Food. A blanket when it's frosty. I mean, survival. In Ten years in Detroit, we learned a lot that I needed to know. Um, some of it still haunts me, but I'm glad I know it. It could be that she was just really hard to live with. All right? We, I, I got to hand that one out, guys. We got to put that on the table. But I tend to side with the woman. So I'm just going to call all the guys bad. And he goes, and the one that's with you now is just using you, not even trying to be your husband. Wow. Well, she goes, I, all right, I can, I can tell you're a prophet. You know stuff. So instead of saying, help me, she decides to launch a theological argument. Why? Because Samaritans were just as bad about the Jews as the Jews were about the Samaritans. Right? We tend to paint one side as good and one side as bad about everything. You can't do that in the real world, can you? It's always a mix. 
so she starts it. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. That was one of the big divisions between them. But you Jews claim the place they must worship is in Jerusalem. People, you might think, well, this is cut and dry. It is far from it. When you read the Old Testament, you find that they worshipped on a variety of mountains. That they made holy a variety of different places. Different kings and the writer of the Chronicles worked hard to eliminate those other places and bring it all to Jerusalem. But the fact was, they had traditionally worshipped God on a different mountains, and this was one of them. But the Jews were angry about this. Woman, Jesus replies, and let me stop again. If I look at somebody and go, woman, that's not going to end well, is it? That, that's, not gonna, that's not a sign of respect or anything. Back then, it was, it was very much, not really. I was about to say kind of like my lady, but that has overtones of royalty and privilege, and that's not what I'm going for. Uh, Ma'am might be the best, closest I can get to it. A, a sign of respect, showing respect to a person. Um, in, in the South, I'm told, but, but this has been some years ago, so I don't know if it's still that way, uh, that some Southern women would tell their kids, if, they, if the kids said that lady over there, would say, we know she's a woman, we don't know if she's a lady, so call her that woman over there. Language can be so nuanced. This was a respectful term, so you're just going to have to buy that, all right? Yeah, it, he, wasn't, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was acknowledging her as a person. Believe me, Time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Think about this. Here is a hanging curveball. Here's the easiest lob you ever saw to head out of the park. Which mountain should we worship in? And Jesus doesn't even answer it. If Jesus was on Facebook, and by the way, there's a picture painting kind of thing. Of, um, if you're not ashamed to have Jesus on your wall, then share this. And if you don't, then you're ashamed. And it's not even a Jesus. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm serious. I am serious. And I'm just going, really? On the day of judgment, he's going to go, remember you didn't like that picture. No. I, if Jesus had Facebook, I don't think he'd use it for anything but encouraging people. And if they shot at him, what do you think uh, that church over there is doing? He wouldn't answer it because he didn't. And in fact, the elders of the church didn't. In Acts 15, when two warring factions come together and they say, who is right? They never, ever say who is right. They just say, keep yourself sexually pure. Don't act like a pagan. And send them away. These things were not important to Jesus. She's important. He doesn't want to win the argument. He wants to win How's that? You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he's going to say, we do have the right track here. Yet, don't panic. The time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. In other words, it's already happened, but it's still coming. 
that God doesn't care about the mountains. He just wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. Could, what, how much better off would the world be if we didn't care about the mountains? But just about being a Christian. Do you know what I mean by mountains? I'm not talking about physical. Whatever our arguments are over, they just, that's, that's all gone now. I, how many laws in the Old Testament? It was 613. How many in the New Testament love God, love each other? You cannot find a description of a worship service in the New Testament. You get bit, bits and pieces of local lore, but nothing, uh, nothing approximating a full worship service. Why? Well, there's no such thing as a worship service, for one. We just gather to worship God, and that's a good thing. We're supposed to do that. Yay, us. But God did not regulate us in our worship. He just wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I've had people say, well, truth means all the laws we can infer out of... No, it doesn't. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There you go. That'll keep you busy. The woman said, I know that Messiah, we're building up to the big finale here, called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. Boom. If he had a mic, he would have dropped it in the well. It would have taken a long time. Dramatic thought. Why? Um, Jesus is, we can all agree, the highest of the high, the purest of the pure. Who's she? Can we find somebody lower on the social totem than this woman? But he had to go to Samaria. He had to sit by the well. He was waiting for her. This God came to earth for this woman. And this is the first time in Scripture that we can find Jesus ever telling anybody who he is. He waited to tell her first. Why? Because she needed a savior. I'm such a sinner, it requires a supernatural act to save me. Her too. Why do I think I'm saved? Because if he's saving these others, he can save me, and he said he would. He came for us. He came for the broken. Sometimes, I don't think Fourth Avenue is this way, but God help us if ever we are. And please send up a flare if you see it coming. Sometimes churches give the impression of, if you're shiny, happy people of God, you'll be comfortable here. We're, we're looking for broken, thrown away people that are, are on their, you're giving God their last chance. This is your last chance, God, because we've been beaten up by your people or even beaten up by life, or whatever it is, we're, we're not sure that we're going to hang in there with you. This is the last shot, God. That's who we're looking for. And they come here. We don't necessarily need them comfortable, do we? we? We discomfort people because of that whole cross thing. But we put them to work for the Lord, and we tell them, you're saved, you're loved, let's go. Jesus here waited for her.
Oh, but now a little comedy. You ready for the comedy? Just then, his disciples turn up. He hasn't even told them. I don't know if he leaned over and went, shh. That would have been hilarious. I would have loved to have seen that one. Not that anybody that Jesus ever said, don't talk, didn't talk. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? He'd always say, don't tell anybody. They never got out of range before they started talking about things. They were returned and surprised to find him talking with a woman. That's not what we do. That's not acceptable. I want you to think the next time you have those kind of thoughts about this story. All of those walls have not just been knocked down. They've been thrown away. Don't rebuild them with rubble. No one asks, what do you want? Or, you know, what, why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. And by the way, that's impressive. You don't leave your water jar. You may not ever get another jar. You're homeless. You're living in a ruin. I, I told you this. We went through Leviticus three years ago. So let me just remind you quickly. Remember in the book of Leviticus, it said, let's say a mouse runs through, hits a spoon, and a spoon plops into your pot of boiling water or whatever you got there, you have to throw away the pot. You have to break it. We now know about the transmission of disease and how that works and that that is because pots were very porous. You had to get rid of it. They didn't know that. You could get a good wife for three pots. And now just because a mouse took a detour through your kitchen, you're demoted to a two-pot woman. I didn't make up history, people. I'm just reporting it. And you know, because people are people, that three-pot women gossiped about the cheap two-pot hussy down the street. And now, that's you. You don't leave your pot behind. This is too precious. This is, this is, but she did. I love that. I love, she's just, wah, and she cannot wait. Who was the first missionary? This woman. You ever thought about that? Who was the first one to talk about the risen Lord? Mary. Huh. File that away. She said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said to them, I have food to eat. You don't know nothing about disciples. Because again, he didn't clue them in. Could somebody brought him food? So Jesus will then explain something. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about that disapproval thing. Why is it so easy to disapprove? I think it's because it gives us a position. It gives us a place. It gives us a meaning. Oh, I don't like those people. Oh, I'm against that side. And it gives you a tribe. It gives you meaning. Jesus is going, that's, that's all gone. The mountains are gone. The mountains were their holy places. They're gone. Now people are holy. It's a whole other world now. Here they come with food that they'd gone a long way to get. And Jesus is saying, I don't really need it. I'm okay. They don't get it. So he explains. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. 
It is not. And this verse really bothered me for much of my life. Because we would preach our stuff. And do you remember uh, when there would always be an invitation song? If you're not a Church of Christ guy, you might have seen it in the Baptist method. There are other churches that do it. But every sermon would be done by, by, by the preacher stepping down, talking about hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this at all. And then asking people to come forward if they wanted to repent or be baptized or both. Well, that quit working a long time ago when culture changed. And people don't respond to that big emotional thing. They've seen that a million times on television. They don't fall for it. Even if it's a good thing, they don't fall for it. So instead, they, um, most of the baptisms we do here in the week, they come and talk to us and say, we've come to this, or they study with us, and we say, why not now? And they say, why not now? And we would do that then. But that big emotional plea, and I would watch the preacher do that week after week after week, and nobody moved. And I'm going, the fields are supposed to be white in the harvest. It didn't dawn on me until a long time later, because I'm not really the fastest horse in the barn, that it, what we were doing is rather like a farmer going into his living room and slinging the seed against the walls and then going outside to see what was growing. We focused on this. And we fought over this. We argued about this. And we split over this. Well, the people out there don't care about that. In Rochester, in in one week, it, this is a preacher story because it sounds unreal. I don't have very many of them. I got this one. In one week, we had two people come in the building and ask around where the pastor was or whatever they wanted to call me. And they'd send them in to me. And they wanted to become a Christian because of the same woman in our congregation. Connie Tolman um, was the wife of the former preacher there. And she was just sweet Jesus in her living, in her life. She was a real estate agent. The way she treated people, they knew this is not an average person. Two times in one week, and, and it, was, it was just wonderful. I had somebody come in and say, I've had business dealings with this woman, and she's got something, and so I've been talking to her about church, and she says that this is where she learned to be who she is, and what does it take to be a member here? So I started talking to them, and they said, you know, we also, there's another church we want to check out. And he started talking about a financial advisor he was working with who always helped others, even if it meant his commission went away. And I said, who's that? And he named him. I said, he's a member here, too. We baptized that guy a half hour later. He said, I don't care. Here's my point. He didn't care where we stood on baptism. He didn't care anything about the music. He didn't care anything about all the fights. He just wondered what they got. He, he, by the way, he turned out to be a wonderful fellow. The second person baptized, I, I think they're still a wonderful person too. I, I didn't form as close a friendship and they moved a year later. Um, but it was wonderful. When Jesus comes and you see Jesus, you don't fight over these mountains. You follow Jesus. He, he goes on, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Just get out there and be Jesus. They'll follow you home. Thus the saying, one sows and other reaps is true. Absolutely. We talked about that all through our capital campaign. We're sitting in a room 
that was built by the sacrifice of others. And we always need to acknowledge that and then pass on the goodness. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. They won't get that until later, but that's, they're, not, they're not slow. This is just new. Here's where I want to get to, and i got to close. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Why is that significant? Those disciples are going to have to eat and drink there. You can't go two days without water. Technically, you can, but I, I don't think there's ever been anybody on the record who did. All right? Uh, if, and I'm very open to being corrected on that because it's not like that's my field, my lane. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And look at this. They're still going to take a shot at the woman. Don't th Remember Mary and, and Grace are talking about Mary. Doing what God says doesn't mean your life's going to be nice. They still don't like her. No longer, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. We, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Kind of cutting her out. You, you know, after we've met him, you're really unnecessary. There was only one person in her life who loved her, treated her kindly, and came to do something for her, and that was Jesus be Jesus in these people's lives. Got to stop there. Appreciate all your comments. <clears throat> Sorry. They were all pithy and wonderful. And now you may leave. Cheerio. Go away.